0: All right, let's go ahead and find a spot to sit down. We'll get started here this morning. Thanks to each one of you for coming down to Firth on this beautiful fall Saturday. I can't think of a better thing to do with a Saturday morning than to have fellowship among different churches, different ministries, and to be praying and preparing for evangelism, which is one of the greatest works that we get to be involved with as God's people. Now I want to start off by sharing with you something that I heard another preacher say this week that Christians and non-Christians have one thing in common that can really help us in a situation like this is that we're both nervous about evangelism. <laughs> right? <laughs> the the non-Christian is nervous, the Christian is nervous. That's okay. We are here to deal with some of that and to show that you have everything you need in order to do the work that God has called you to do and I'm just here to remind you of what God has given you in Jesus Christ that you can share with others that other people need and I want to begin this morning after a word of prayer with a verse from Colossians and so if you have a bible and you'd like to open it up to Colossians chapter 4 it's one of my favorite parts of the new testament on What we'll be talking about today. But go ahead and bow your heads, and we'll begin our training time today by seeking God's help, for without Him, we can do nothing. Thank you, God, for choosing to work through prayer and for giving us access to your heavenly throne through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are reminded that you are the one who has the power, and you are the one who shows the grace. You are the one who is the author of salvation and the one who perfects that work. And so we come to you and ask for your grace poured out on us this morning. Thank you for the unity that you've provided for us in Christ. Thank you for the truth that you've given to us in Christ. Thank you for the precious promises that are ours. Thank you for your presence with us in the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your written word. And we thank you for the upcoming opportunity that you've given to us that is Coming to our high school here at Norris on December 6th. We look forward to that day as a day of tremendous opportunity, and may each one of us be prepared to make the most of that opportunity because of our time together this morning and in the coming weeks. We pray this for our good and for your glory in Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Colossians chapter 4 is and has been, ever since I began in ministry, favorite passage about how to conduct ourselves in evangelism. It doesn't use the word evangelism, but take a look there in Colossians chapter 4, and it says there in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, you may or may not have the gift of evangelism. It is a gift that God gives among the church, and it's a very important gift, one that we want to encourage and train and uh, make sure that those who have that gift are are able to use it. But if evangelism is not your gift, notice that this verse is not written to evangelists, but this verse is written to all Christians. not written to pastors, uh, apologists, or anything like that. But that all Christians are given the instruction to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And outsiders here is a, a terminology for those who are not Christians. That When you're in Christ, you have this, this wonderful family relationship. And that's what we want for everyone. We want everyone to be able to be a part of the family of God. But for those who do not have saving faith in Christ, they are outside. And we want to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Notice that next phrase, making the best use of the time. And that really has that idea of opportunity. When you're making the best use of a time, you're recognizing that something is an opportunity. And I can't think of a better opportunity with those who are outside of Christ than what you're going to have on December 6th. Because, as you are probably well aware, the Todd Becker Foundation is coming to Norris High School at the evening of December 6th. This will be the third time that the Todd Becker Foundation has visited Norris High School. We try to bring them in at least once every four years so that every group of students who goes through high school has an opportunity to hear the message that God has given to Keith Becker. Keith Becker is the leader of the ministry, the founder of the ministry, but he's got a wonderful team and they all have important roles to play. And Keith Becker is an evangelist. That's the ministry that God has called him to and he faithfully serves full time in evangelistic ministry and visiting high schools throughout the whole region, the Midwest, and his message has to do with his story of how God has worked in his family through the death of his brother in high school through a drunk driving accident, leading to Keith Becker's salvation when he was a college student, and then his call into ministry. And so the students at Norris will hear this story, and they will hear the gospel message clearly presented Keith Becker is an evangelist who I've known for years, and I've seen him continue to grow and develop, even though he was great when I first met him. And so it's wonderful to see a ministry that's heading in the right direction. It's not getting weaker. It's not compromising. He's not wearing out. He's not discouraged, but he's just more on fire, more biblical, more discerning, more wise as the years go by. And so he is going to do an excellent job of preaching the gospel. I can pretty much guarantee that from my experience. And the students who respond then are going to be the best opportunity you'll have to talk with someone about their personal relationship with Christ. They'll have heard the message. God, If they come forward, God's already working on their heart with conviction and drawing. And so then you're there to follow up with that person to talk with them. And that might seem like a, a big responsibility as it is. I mean, this is a high calling to be able to deal with eternal issues with a, a soul right there in front of you. But that's what God has given you the power and the ability and the wisdom and the knowledge and the love to be able to do. And as I said, you've already got everything you need. Even if you weren't here this morning, you've got everything you have that, that because of what God has given you in Christ. And I'm just here to remind you. I'm here to teach you and equip you with what God has already blessed you with. So there's this opportunity that we want you to make the best use of that is coming up. And so look at the rest of the verse. Your speech must be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so the first handout that we're going to go through together today is called Gospel Training, Advancing the Runner," and. We're going to be looking at what are the truths that are essential in understanding the gospel and how each person you meet, you're going to want to know how to respond to each person, as it says there in Colossians chapter 4, is already acknowledging or aware or convicted of certain of these truths. And there might be other truths that they're just not sure about or they're still trying to, to decide whether or not they're going to believe it. And so you discern by asking questions where the person is, who it is that you're talking to, and God is with you. I've experienced this so many times, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this as well that you're in a situation, you get a chance to talk with someone about eternal issues, the state of their soul, and as you listen, God is telling you, uh, you know, just how am I supposed to respond to this person? Because of the love in your heart, because of the grace that God has given to you, because of the knowledge. God is with you and and you'll end up saying things that are like, where did that come from? You know, I I never would have been able to come up with that if I was planning ahead what I was going to share in a situation, but that God is with you in the moment. That's what Jesus promised his disciples. He says, when they bring you before the judges, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say. You don't have to have a written speech on how you're going to answer because God will give you in the moment what it is that you're supposed to say. And he'll give you such wisdom that your opponents won't know how to answer. And so trust that God is going to be with you there December 6th in the evening. I'm going to be nervous. You're going to be nervous. But when you take your anxieties and you cast them on the Lord and say, God, you're with me, you got to help me, he will. And so you're going to want to be mindful of asking questions to find out who it is that you're talking to so you can know how you can answer that person. So let me go ahead and have these get passed around. Uh, I'll just drop a few on each table here. Send those around this table. A few here on the back.
1: There
0: you are, Matt. So this is training materials that were sent to us by the Todd Becker Foundation, and I found them to be excellent, so I'm happy to use them. Now, before we actually dig into this particular handout, I thought it would be great for us to just go around the room, say what our name is, uh, what church we're from, and that's probably enough. If you want to include something else, feel free. But yeah, let's quickly go around and introduce ourselves. I should start. I'm Pastor Timothy Schmidt. I'm at the Firth uh, Bible Church, and uh, I love being meeting here at the Living Life Reform Church, and I'm developing a great relationship with Nat. I'm excited about Nat being the pastor here, Nat Crawford um, so that's why we're hosting it here, uh, because we want the community to know that the churches are coming together on this. It's not just a Firth Bible Church thing. But uh, so I'm the pastor at Firth Bible Church, the preaching pastor, and my wife is probably going to be watching the video here. Jamie's not with us this morning, but yeah, that's me and who I am. We'll move over here.
1: I'm great. i Yep. I'm Bruce Bird Marn, First Bible Church. Been there a couple of years. Really changed my life. Great place. I'm Ethan Ramchin, and I go to First Bible Church in the House Fellowship in Luton. Um, yeah, it's We're
0: all the first people here first. Another. Amen. All
1: these churches coming together and Matt and Anchor and I think it's really cool. Amen. Uh, I'm Laurie
0: Crane. I go here to Living Life Reformed Church. I've been working here for um, 40 years. A long time. Praise the Lord. I'm
1: Florian Group. I go to Anchor Bible Church. My husband's a pastor there, so but I like it a awesome. <laughs> 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 It's my favorite. <laughs>
0: Our new church plan, and
1: we've
0: got another handful of people, half a dozen people, maybe that are working really on doing this as well. And all that all had commitments today, so they'll get to watch the video and get caught up. Excellent. I'm Jeremy Peace. I go to First Bible. And I've been there about eight or nine years now, I think. Wow. Well, yeah, I think so. I'm Marvin I go to First Bible I'm also Margaret Trout. I go to Redemption Hill. I'm Amy Ralston.
1: I was the first Bible for almost 18 years, oh but we've lived in Hickman for 20, so now we're excited to have Redemption Hill cool. in Hickman, and we are I'm Rhonda Lankins Powell, and I'm from the Norris School District. I went to school at Norris. Uh, I was a youth leader. I'm originally. Christ's place, so I was a youth leader of his for 10 years, and then God called me down to the North School District because we were trying to get involved in the school down here, so where I lived down here, I thought that was my calling, and then I got planned, God moved me to this church, so I'm now the youth leader here, so I'm really excited about this Todd Becker thing. So I think I'm more excited than I am
0: nervous, because I've been doing you for so long. Just let me also add this. How many of you have been to a Todd Becker event before? Raise your hand if you've been to one. Okay, so just a handful. Great. Well, those of you that haven't been to a Todd Becker event, you are in for a treat. It's one of my favorite ministries. All right, so let's take a look then at the Advancing the Runner gospel training, and we're going to start on first base, okay? So we're looking to advance the runner to home plate, where you have repentance, salvation, or a recommitment, if you like to use that terminology, but we're trying to bring people to Christ. And so the first step on the gospel training Advancing the Runner is the scriptural authority. And this is to first start off with the idea that there is a God, and that God has communicated to us. Francis Schaeffer is one of my favorite apologists, and he has a famous book, actually two books that ended up being going together. He is there, and he is not silent. And that's basically first base here on our evangelism, that God is real, and he has spoken to us. And you want kids to know that, and you want anybody that you're sharing the gospel with to know that, the teenagers, that there is... As it says there, an objective authority and a creator by which the universe came into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible starts. That's our our basic presupposition. The rest of the gospel doesn't make sense if you don't understand the idea that, that there is one creator and that we are accountable to our creator. So this authority, as it says has ordered everything we see in the natural world, the seasons, the planets, our own DNA, and that this entity, we can call him God, has also defined and brought order to things such as morality and justice, that there is objective truth regarding what is right and what is wrong. That's, that's a basic presupposition of the Christian worldview and the gospel. And so we want to be able to communicate that and find out whether or not the person you're talking to understands that, whether or not they believe that. And so a great way to find out is to ask. You know, if you're feeling nervous and you don't know what to say, what you do is you ask questions. Asking questions is a wonderful way to learn how you're supposed to respond to each person, as it says in Colossians chapter 4. And so you can ask them. What do you believe about God? Do you believe that God created the world? And as they're talking, you'll be listening to understand and then asking God, give me wisdom to know what to share with this person. So after we go through the whole thing, we'll have an opportunity to look at some specific situations and do some role-playing today on how to answer if someone has a question about the existence of God or the fact that God has created the world, okay? So continuing on with first base, you see the next point. They understand this creative entity and moral lawgiver as the God of the Bible. So now we've moved past just the fact that there is a God to the fact that he is the God of the Bible. That is that he has spoken to us. He's revealed himself through the Bible. And so we want to establish that truth that the Bible is the standard and the basis for knowing truth and that the Bible is the word of God. And there's some great scripture references there uh, concerning that important truth. And I think Romans 1 is probably my my favorite apologetics text in the Bible. If you want to understand worldview, if you want to understand why people think the way that they do, I don't think there's a, a more clear explanation in the Bible than Romans chapter 1, the whole chapter really, but he's got verses 18 through 20 there on the handout. So I encourage you to look up those verses and spend some time meditating on that as you prepare to to share that part of the truth, that there is a God and that he's spoken to us through the Bible. So if that's first base, what do you think is the next step? What after someone has acknowledged that God exists, that he's real, that he is the one who tells us what's right and what's wrong, and that he is the judge, Well, then, of course, you're going to move on second base, as you see, to law and sin. After the Bible says God created the world, well, then the next part of the story is is that God ends up giving the law, and the law is given for a good purpose. And so let's take a look at what points are here on second base. So as you're sharing the gospel, you're trying to bring them to an understanding of Christ and what he's done for them, you want to understand what is sin. And the law is what God has given to us in order to reveal sin, to let us know what sin is. So I'm going to read the first bullet point there. They understand that according to the moral law found in Scripture, the Ten Commandments, they have been found guilty under the law. Now, the Todd Becker Foundation sent me some training videos to go along with these handouts. And one of the videos that they sent was from the Living Waters Ministry that is led by Ray Comfort. How many of you are familiar with Living Waters and Ray Comfort? Raise your hand. If you are not familiar with Living Waters and Ray Comfort, I recommend it to you. I think he has an excellent evangelistic ministry, and I think that his approach on sharing the gospel, his example and and training that he has available is very useful. And this is one of his main points, that you have to get people to understand that they're sinners before they can be able to understand what Christ has done in order to save them. I need to be saved. What do I need to be saved from? Well, you need to be saved from sin and death, which is the penalty for sin. And so getting people to understand their sinners, the way of the master that is taught by Ray Comfort and Living Waters Ministry is an excellent resource for training in that. And you got a couple of weeks here before the event. So I would recommend looking into that if you want more help on this second point of understanding the moral law and how we are guilty uh, because of breaking God's commandments, God's law. So then the second part there on second base is we have to realize that we can't attain justification or salvation by fulfilling the demands of the law. Just trying harder to do what God says and trying harder to be more moral is not the pathway to salvation. And so We want to establish law and sin and recognize, therefore, that we are helpless to save ourselves by morality. Morality is not what we're preaching. So when we talk about justification, that's a term that most people outside of the church are not going to be familiar with. And so you want to use terminology that's going to be understood by the people that you're talking to. And so you want to establish that truth that God is a judge. We're all going to stand before God as our judge, and when you stand before God, is he going to declare you guilty of breaking his law, or is he going to declare you innocent? And if they say, well, I think God will find me to be innocent, well, then you have to help them understand, well, have you broken God's law? Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, I have told a lie. Well, when you know, one of God's commandments is you shall not lie. Uh, Have you ever uh, disrespected your parents, disobeyed your parents. Uh, yeah, I have on occasion disobeyed my parents. Well, that's breaking God's law. And so if God judges you according to the law, will he find you guilty of breaking the law or will he find you innocent? And at that point, most people should be able to recognize, well, I guess I'm guilty. Um, and the you know penalty for sin isn't do better. The penalty for sin is death. And that's why it's useful to have a verse like Romans 3 uh, in, in your heart memorized. Uh, as he says, as it has there on the outline, Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the penalty for sin is death. And so that is what gives you that open road into presenting what Jesus Christ has done. You can say, okay, now you realize you're accountable for God for the times that you've obeyed, disobeyed him and broken his commandments, and he's going to find you guilty. And the penalty for that is death, not just physical death, but eternal death. What do you know, What has God done for you so that you can be saved? Because you can't save yourself. God is the one who's going to have to save you. Do you know what God has done for you? And that leads you, of course, to the cross. So let's take a look then at third base. Any questions on first and second base here while we're walking through, advancing the runner? Any concerns? Well, the name of Living Water. Yeah, Living Waters Ministries, uh, Ray Comfort. You can find his web website is probably livingwaters.org, or you can find him on YouTube. He's got a Living Waters YouTube channel. And just uh, every video he has, he'll, he'll give an example of sharing the gospel with someone that he goes up to, a stranger on the beach or whatever. And uh, you can learn from his example. He does a great job. Yeah? I wondered on first days.
1: Yes. Uh-huh. and then focus on that more. Yes. And then I read Roman and then in the reading Romans one, I made me wonder more like how much time my was really needed on that specific point because it it's
0: it words that um every man's without it's another statement Right. right. So I guess my question would be, you like, know, uh like I guess are there other passages that no. make, I kind mean, of that like whether it's not like that is a great uh, question. Yeah. So one. This helps me clarify something about this handout and this, this method that is being taught. It's not your job to convince them of these truths. It's your job to present these truths. And The Bible itself doesn't spend a lot of time in Genesis chapter 1 proving the existence of God. It just assumes it. And so that is an important assumption because if there's no God, then the rest of the Bible doesn't make any sense. So we're presenting this as our assumption. And we're not necessarily going to prove that assumption to them because, as you said in Romans chapter 1, all people have an instinctive sense that that is true. And so we're just relying on that instinctive sense that God has put in their heart and that the Holy Spirit is going to take the message of the gospel that we're presenting, which includes the truth that God is real, and that the Holy Spirit is going to open up their heart to believe what they already have an inner sense of but they might have been suppressing or holding that down as Romans 1 says and so don't feel like you have to go in guns loaded to be able to present the evidence for you know young earth creationism uh, and you know have like this 20 minute speech prepared don't worry about that you're just going to present it as this is what Christians believe this is what Christians teach and this is what makes the rest of the message make sense Is that helpful that's what I was thinking. Like, that's like that crap. Yeah. Like that yep. But uh, like, yeah, I thought
1: it was more passages. If there really are
0: people who are really coming to test, I know that. But as you said, everybody knows someone. Yeah. Is that Romans 1? Romans 1. one. Yep. How uh, everyone has the knowledge of God innately. Yeah. Now, some people genuinely do struggle with the existence of God. You know, maybe they've been reading books, maybe they've been, you know, pursuing it philosophically, and they really do have questions and struggles with that. So there might be a time where you do really want to talk with someone about the existence of God. But it takes wisdom, and I think the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom in that moment to know whether or not, is this what this person really needs to hear, or are they just kind of throwing up a smokescreen to keep them from having to deal with their conscience before God? Um, Some people, when you start talking about their personal relationship with God, they get uncomfortable and they just want to get onto a subject that's less personal, more intellectual, and they'll try to kind of divert the discussion. One of my favorite examples of this in scripture is in John chapter four, and Jesus is sharing the gospel with the woman at the well. And when he starts talking about her sin and how she's, you know, uh, living with someone that's not her husband, she's like, oh, you're a prophet, uh. Your people say we should worship in Jerusalem. Our people say we should worship on Mount Gerizim. And so she kind of wants to get the conversation off of herself and onto just like religious debate. And so people, when they get into religious conversations, sometimes they'll do this. They'll be like, oh, I'm familiar with some religious debate questions. Let's. I'm curious about this or I'm curious about that. It's like, well, that's not really what we need to focus on right now. We're here to focus on your relationship with God and what God has done for you so that you can be saved from your sin. So, be careful that you don't get dragged down a bunny trail that's not helpful, uh, but that you keep it focused on what's really going to lead that person to trusting in Christ as as Savior. Does that help? And the other thing I want to say that your question brings up is that don't feel like you have to deliberately, you know, get to first base and to second base and at each point say, well, do you believe this? And do you believe this? You can hit a home run, you know? And so... uh, You might have someone who starts off the evening, and and they're an atheist, and they go home as a a Christian, and so you can hit a home run that first night. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out process of, well, you know, first I had to struggle with months about the existence of God, and then for months getting to second base. Sometimes that happens, but a conversion can happen just like that, so keep that in mind. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look at third base, then. Third base is the conviction and realization phase, and here is where it really becomes personal. As it says in Ephesians 2.1, they realize that that they are lost, and that that means they're not going to heaven uh, if they continue on the path that they're on. They need a change. They need a conversion here. And so the heart at this point is where you're going. It's not just Understanding what the Bible says about law and sin, but it's applying it personally. That now I'm convicted of my guilt and sin, that the Holy Spirit is revealing to me, and that the Word is is piercing their heart so that they humble themselves before God and are ready to repent and return to God to realize I need to stop going away from God and I need to turn back to God. Now, what i would like to add here on third base is a little bit more not just about conviction personally of sin but also conviction of the truth of jesus if i was you know making this this handout i'd probably not just include conviction here of sin but also realization of what christ has done at this point is the where you really want to draw in Do you know what God has done for you so that you don't have to go to hell? That's a question that Ray Comfort uses a lot. Once he's got them to understand, I'm guilty before God, I'm in trouble here, I'm on my way to judgment, then they're ready to hear the good news. And so the good news is God sent Jesus Christ to die on your behalf. He was the sacrifice for sins. He paid your penalty at the cross. And so... When, when they realize that, that God has done something so that they can be saved, um, when they're under this conviction, that's, that's what is going to then lead to them getting home. And getting home is that act of repentance, that act of faith, uh, where it says they are underneath the home plate. They have repented. They've turned around, reversed course, changed their mind. And they've called on the name of Jesus as the only one that can make them right with God. So you get to third base, and they've got the conviction of sin. They know that Jesus Christ has died so that they can be saved. Well, then what's the next step? The next step is, well, I repent of my sins, and I put my faith in Jesus. So that's that's the action of conversion that you're driving for to, to get to home plate. Sometimes Christians think of conversion as this long process. And there can be uh, that long process of God drawing people to themselves. But conversion itself is not a long process. It can be a long process of getting to the point of conversion. But conversion is new life. It's new birth. It happens in a moment, really, where you go from darkness to light and you're born again spiritually. And so it's important to realize that, that it might be a process to get them to the point where they are ready for conversion. But conversion itself is actually an act. It's, it's uh, something that takes place within a minute uh, or so. So note, notice the second bullet point there on the home plate. They have become justified through faith, adopted into the family of God as a son or daughter, connected to the vine, born again. And so if you get to this point with the person that you're talking to on December 6th, you want to assure them of these things, help them to understand what happened when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let them know that they have been born again. Let them know that they have been connected to the source of life, the vine. Let them know that they have become a child of God and that this is all because of God's grace through faith in Christ, the gospel message they've heard accomplishes these amazing things and gives them this this new life, this new identity. So it's really quite exciting. I don't know how many of you have had an opportunity to lead someone to the Lord. Uh, I wish all Christians would be able to have that experience because it's one of the most wonderful things about being a Christian. And I'll be praying that, that you will get that opportunity on December 6th, but that also as a result of this training and the joy that comes from an experience like this, that you'll have other opportunities that come up in your life. And this will be something that encourages you and propels you to personal evangelism, which is really just being obedient to what Colossians chapter 4 commands. Let's read Colossians chapter 4 again here. We have rounded the bases and remind ourselves of what God's instruction is to us as his disciples to walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time, making the most of the opportunity is how I like to paraphrase that. Let your speech always be gracious. you want to be gracious with the person you're talking to. Seasoned with salt. What does it mean that your speech is to be seasoned with salt? It's a good thing to think about, isn't it? I'm going to obey God and Christ in my life when I'm with people who aren't Christians. God says, let your speech be seasoned with salt, Timothy. What do you think he means by that? Yeah, because salt is that picture that Christ uses of Christians in the world, that we are salt and light. And so our salt comes forth in our speech. Uh, what would it be like for a Christian to not have his speech seasoned with salt? Uh, what's, the, what's the flip side of this commandment? It's always good to think of the opposite.
1: was
0: just like the world. Okay, yeah. Not that different. You're just fitting in. This is the way people talk uh, that are non Christian. I'll just talk like that. So, seasoning your speech with salt is allowing the, the difference that Christ has made in your life and in your heart, the truth that he's taught you, to come out. Um, it can be simple things like just say, instead of, it's a wonderful day, like most people say, you could say, God gave us a wonderful morning. That you put God in your conversation where most people wouldn't put God in your conversation. And somebody will notice that, like, oh, that's different than what most people say. And so just letting who you are come out in your speech. And that's really what's going to happen on December 6th. It's going to be you talking with a teenager. And God is going to want what is in you, the Christ that is in you, to be able to be shown in what you say. And so if God puts on your heart that he wants you to share your testimony with the person, then you share your testimony with the person. If God puts on your heart a Bible verse that comes to mind as you're listening to the person tell where he's at, where she's at, the things that she's struggling with in her life, well then share that Bible verse. That you just let out the the grace, the salt that God has put in you and let it come out in your speech. Don't be timid, don't be afraid, don't be like, well, I can't say that because they might not like it or they might not. But instead, just let yourself be yourself and connect and communicate uh, that grace to the person you're talking with. Basically not hiding your light under a bushel, but letting your light shine before men is how Christ put this same idea in his teaching to his disciples. But be yourself in Christ. You know, (laughs) that's kind of the idea there. Um, don't be afraid, and, and God will use you. So any questions on the handout that we've looked at first here together on advancing the runner Yes. So
1: what does the schedule for that day like? Yes. Yeah,
0: that's, it's good to know as much as possible ahead of time, and the more we're prepared uh, with our imagination, the more uh, we can be uh, have proper expectations. Anyway, so here's how it's going to go. They're going to have a concert first, I'm pretty sure. And they've changed how they do things over the years. They used to have a morning seminar and an evening seminar, but they've made it all into the evening seminar, and so this is the first time I've seen their new setup. But I would imagine they'll have the concert first. And after the concert, then uh, it'll probably be like a giveaway where, you know, they'll have you put your name and ticket in and they'll give away an iPad or something. And then, uh, you know, they'll have a, a short introduction for the speaker who comes up and then Keith will share the story of how his brother. Uh, had an opportunity to come to Christ before he died, but that he rejected that opportunity. Someone came to his brother and shared the gospel with him at the grocery store that he worked at uh, shortly before he had his accident, and that his brother never did anything with that. And then he's going to share about what led up to his brother's accident, his death and a drunk driving accident in high school, and then how after that, how Keith was convicted of his own sin because he was the one who was basically leading his brother down that lifestyle. He was the older brother who'd been setting the example for his younger brother. And that God then, uh, through the funeral and through uh, the time of grieving, drew him to open up his Bible and search for the answers. And so he came to know the Lord, and then he's going to challenge the, the teenagers to say, well, you know, which path are you on? Are you on the broad path that leads to destruction or are you on the narrow road that leads to life? And that broad path versus narrow road has been pretty much the hallmark of his preaching and his, his gospel presentation all the times that I've seen him. So I'd imagine that to be the focus uh, again. And so then after he has shared the gospel and he it will share the whole gospel, sin, Christ, all of that repentance, conversion, then he'll say, you know, if if you need to get off the broad path and get onto the narrow road. You need to get right with God. Uh, I want you to come forward. And kids will come down from the, the stands and they'll line up uh, in front of the stage area. And then the sponsors, uh, the, the team that comes with uh, Keith, they will take those kids who come forward and they'll hand them off to the volunteers. And so you might get one, you might get two, you might get three, depending on how many volunteers we have and depending upon how many kids come forward. Yeah, so then we'll take them off to, you know, a, a corner of the gymnasium and sit down and talk with them about, well, why did you come forward tonight? Uh, what's God doing in your heart? And then you listen and then you find out, where is this person? Is this person a Christian who just has some sin that they need to repent of, who's already born again? Or is this person a non-Christian uh, who uh, has never even been to church? Or is this person a nominal Christian who thinks they're a Christian but doesn't really understand the gospel and needs to get saved? And so you want to listen to find out where the person is so you can know what it is that God is calling them to do. So there won't be,
1: they have the whole there won't be a
0: prayer I believe so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. All right, so the next handout that I want us to look at is related to what we're talking about here. And that is examining where someone is at in their spiritual journey. Pass those around. Thank you, thank you. Well, there's advertisements that are going uh, around the community, both uh, printed and online. And we've got flyers up at the school, but we're relying a lot on word of mouth, that we need our churches to be telling our teenagers about it and for our teenagers to be inviting their friends to it. And so we need a lot of word of mouth in these next few weeks to let people know about the event you know any families, anybody that uh, has high school age students, that's really what the event is for, for the high schoolers at Norris, yeah. I'm not sure about that, I haven't asked that question. I talked to Chet this week, he's a Youth for Christ at Norris, and he said that he's put some posters up at Norris, so I don't know if that was before or after, but yeah, the more the better, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Would you check in on that? Uh, if you got the information, you could contact them and, and ask them about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's mostly a high school event, but, you know, if it's uh, an older brother, younger brother, or something like that, I'm sure middle schoolers could get a lot out of it, too. Yeah, good um, question. A question is, uh, there's got to be follow-through. So
1: yes. The right. With the kids. Yep.
0: So what can we do
1: to do that follow-through? Because one of us churches, to one of those
0: kids. Yeah, all the churches are going to, yeah, so the night of the event, we will have them write down their contact information on a card and ask if it's okay if we contact them afterwards. And then all the pastors and ministry leaders will get together shortly after the event and the Todd Becker Foundation will provide us with all that contact information and we'll divide up amongst ourselves say, okay, this person's closest to your church, this person knows someone in your church, and this is how we'll coordinate the follow-up. I just want to
1: make sure there's
0: an avenue for Exactly. That's work with. Yeah. Yeah. The follow-up's the most important part. Good. So, together with this advancing the runner, you have examining where someone is at at their spiritual journey. And so this is a Bible study on how to be able to recognize where someone is at in their relationship to God. Are they saved? Are they unsaved? Are they saved but not growing and backsliding? Are they saved and and doing uh, really growing strong in their faith? So I think this is a great study. Um, We might not get through the whole thing, but I at least want to get started on it and introduce it to you and make it available to you ahead of time because one of the key elements is going to be knowing how to respond to the person God connects you with that night. And so you want to be able to have discernment to know where is this person in their spiritual life. So I'm just going to go ahead and walk through this together with you. Before Christ, that's apart from God. Conversion at the cross. After Christ, that daily walk with God, that's where they're getting plugged into the church and discipled, as Matthew 28 says. So just as a doctor examines someone's physical health, not simply by looking at a person's outward appearance, but by asking questions, running tests, and looking at x-rays, and then prescribes a plan of treatment, so also we must examine a person's spiritual condition by asking appropriate questions, digging deep and getting beyond the surface or the outward appearance. After an accurate spiritual examination has been made, now you can accurately minister to that person's deepest spiritual needs. I think that makes sense. I'm in agreement with that. Any questions about that uh, idea of examining someone's spiritual health so that you can prescribe uh, the proper... Treatment for whatever is ailing them. I think we're all on board there. So open up your Bibles then to 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. For the recording, I'll go ahead and make sure to read the verses so everyone can hear it. i got the microphone. But follow along, 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So here, Paul is encouraging a whole church, the Church of Corinth, to examine, to do that spiritual uh, evaluation to find out whether or not they are truly in the faith. Here's a church of professing Christians, but the profession of faith is not what saves us, it is the possession of faith that saves us. Everybody got that? It's not a profession of faith that saves you, it's the possession of faith that saves you. And saving faith, it produces certain qualities that can be observed and tested for. So anybody can say, I believe in Christ, but how do we know whether or not somebody believes in Christ? That's what Paul's getting at here. And so the examination is quite simple. If Christ is in you, then you are in the faith. If Christ is not in you, then you are not in the faith. That this ties in with a very important doctrine in the New Testament of Christ dwelling in us and us dwelling in Christ, mutual abiding. And this abiding of Christ is accomplished by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. One of the great gifts of salvation is that God gives us His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Christ dwelling within us. And so if we are saved, then we receive the gift of the holy spirit and christ dwells in us and god does a, a work of sanctification the holy spirit makes us more like god makes us more holy now i know that there's you know some debate and uh, some debate and discussion on this subject among christians as to well how much fruit does there need to be in order for you to know that somebody is saved and i don't want to get into the weeds on all of that but i just want to establish this truth that if Christ is in you, then you're in the faith. If Christ is not in you, Christ is not in the faith. And maybe some of those questions in the debate will be cleared up as we go through some more verses that are here in this gospel training. So, you see underneath uh, the, the verse there, the question, how can a person fail the test? How does a person fail the test according to 2 Corinthians
1: 13.5? What's it say? Anybody? Is not
0: in right. Yeah, if Christ is not in you, then you have failed the test. Um, then the question follows up on uh, comparing it to the heart disease. How might a doctor diagnose someone with heart disease? What does a doctor do to check for heart disease? What's that? Yeah, okay, yeah, like shortness of breath or chest pains, things like that. So ask questions, find out what symptoms you have. What else can a doctor do?
1: Yeah, like what?
0: Like a, Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, good. Yeah, so there are these tests that you can perform, and that's what they're getting at here with the examination, the spiritual examination. Not a physical examination, it's a spiritual examination. But it's the same idea. All right. Well, let's then take a look at the next verse, Rome, uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6.
1: We're going to pick it up there in
0: verse 43. Here's the Lord's teaching. On the tree and its fruit. You're probably familiar with these verses. Jesus said, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So how can we, as those who want to bring people to Christ, how can we examine what's in the heart? You can't see what's in my heart. How do you know what's in my heart if you can't see? Yeah, part of our deeds is our words. The heart, the, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Jesus said. Uh, but, yeah, and, and more generally than just what we say. Exactly, yeah. So the deeds, are the fruit. And you've got to look at the life and find out, you know, is this a person who genuinely loves God and loves the brethren? And a wonderful book on this whole subject. I'm sure they'll get to some of these verses eventually in this study. Maybe not, actually. Okay, here's a great supplement to what they have here on these verses is 1 John. 1 John is one of the few books in the Bible that tells us the reason why it was written in a purpose statement. And at the end of the book, John says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you know whether or not someone has eternal life? Well, God gave you a book to be able to do those tests, to be able to make that examination. It's John. Now, there's many other parts of Scripture that do a similar thing, as you see from the handout here. But I encourage you to, if, you, if you're wondering, wanting more training on this, if you're not sure about this and you're feeling nervous about, well, I don't know if I'll be able to examine where someone is at if I talk with them on December 6th, read First John, and it shows you this is the fruit that is in your life if you really are a believer in Jesus Christ. All right. Um, The second question there, how might you tell if someone is only speaking or saying all the right things, but those things they're saying and speaking are not really rooted in their heart? And it directs us back to verse 46. So look again at verse 46. Uh, which we didn't read earlier. We stopped short there. Now we're going a verse further. And it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So how do you know if someone's just saying the right things, but it's not really coming from their heart? Yeah,
1: exactly. Good. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. watch their body language. That will tell you a lot. Definitely. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a great way to do this with a stranger, uh, because you'd just be meeting this person at the Todd Becker event, is to ask them a question. Say, you know, from your body language, you know, you're looking down... Uh, you know, whatever, you know, am I interpreting your body language right? That is, is this, you know, what's, what's in your heart? And then you know, maybe that'll give them the opportunity then to say, yeah, no, I wasn't going to say that, but that is what's in my heart. <laughs> Good. All right. So the next section has to do with the, the nature of mankind. And, and this is important for being a gospel minister that we have to understand the biblical teaching on the sinfulness of the heart. And so Jeremiah 17.9 is a key verse on this subject. Jeremiah 17.9 is in the context of the sin of Judah. That's the chapter title that the ESV translation has for Jeremiah chapter 17. And it's remarkably similar to Psalm 1 in the section that we're looking at because it talks about the blessed man in verse 7 who trusts in the Lord, just like Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man being a tree planted by the waters and that bears good fruit at the end of verse 8 there. But then verse 9 is the, is the contrast between the good fruit, the man who trusts in the Lord, versus the heart of the wicked. And so Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is deceitful, Above all things, and desperately sick, who can understand it? So it's like you're going to the doctor with heart disease, and you're not just a little bit sick with heart disease, you're desperately sick. And it's important to understand the extent of the problem that we have in our sinfulness so that you can get to the root of that problem and help, help those that you're leading to Christ to recognize what is it that I'm being saved from. I'm, I'm not a pretty good person who just needs a little bit of help in order to get my life on the right track. That's what a lot of kids will think when they're coming into the, the evening. And that might be what a lot of kids are thinking even after they come forward, responding to the message. They might be thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. But I do have some problems that I need to get sorted out. and I need to talk to somebody about some of those problems. And that person is not ready to get saved because they don't recognize the the depth of their problem. The Bible says we're not pretty good people who just need to get a couple things sorted out. It says that we're desperately sick and that uh, we need a a radical change at the very heart level in our relationship with God. So let's take a further look at that in John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. And all of these verses are here to help us answer that question, is mankind by nature good and pleasing to God? So let's see what John chapter 2, verses 23 to 24, what light they shed on that question. Are we good by nature?
1: Here, Jesus
0: knows what is in the heart, and we get to get some insight into our nature. As John writes at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus was in Jerusalem in verse 23 at the Passover feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Oh, isn't that interesting? They were believing on him. They were trusting in him. But he wasn't trusting in them. (laughs) That's unexpected, right? Normally we'd be reading the Bible and it's like, hey, people are believing in Jesus. This is great. Uh, But here, there's a a little concern. Jesus is not entrusting himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. That is, he knows that mankind is not trustworthy. Now, in our church, we've been going through a survey of the Old Testament in our adult Sunday school. And as you go through Genesis, all the way through the Torah, and you go then through the historical books, and you get into the prophets— there's one thing that becomes abundantly clear about people is that people are not faithful to God. People are unfaithful. People are untrustworthy. And so that's what we're getting at here. Jesus knows people are unfaithful. Jesus knows people are untrustworthy in their relationship with God. They're treacherous. They're covenant breakers. They're rebellious. They're deceitful. Um, All of that. And so we really want to have that understanding clear in ourselves so that we can help those who are in that situation to find the radical solution that is in Jesus Christ to that serious problem. Um, so I think you've picked up at this point that mankind by na- is mankind by nature good and pleasing to God? The answer is no, we are not good uh, by nature. And if you want more on that, read the opening chapters of Romans, which quotes from Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. And uh, I'm going to start to move a little bit more quickly, because I've got a lot we want to accomplish this morning, and and this is great doctrine, but I'm going to trust you to do some of this on your own. And I want to get into some of these situation studies. So turn to the next page, and there you see at the top of the page the situation study with Troy. Everybody see that? So Troy is a 16-year-old handsome high school kid. His family has few, if any, known health problems. Both his mother and father are health nuts. They tend to eat very healthy as well. During the summer, Troy goes in for a physical exam that is required for him to play football in the fall. Troy, along with several of his teammates, stand in line to meet the doctor. When Troy finally gets in to see the doctor, the doctor instantly recognizes Troy. He says, oh, Troy, I know your parents really well. I see them at the Y all the time. I know you've been eating well. You look healthy. I'm going to sign your medical card. We don't need to do any exams. Bye. So, yes, this is good for Troy in one sense. He doesn't have to do anything, uh, doesn't have to go through the exam. But what might be the implications of the doctor giving Troy a good health report without doing a proper examination? (laughs) Right, there's a possibility that maybe Troy has a heart murmur. Uh, than that if he goes through a stressful situation in uh, football, he could have a heart attack, you know? And that's that's exactly why we do these exams, right? Um, And so we, as the physicians of the soul, have to be careful that we don't jump to a conclusion, oh, this person's saved. I know his parents. I know his family. I know they go to church. Don't make the assumption that the teenager you're talking with, if you know them, is saved. Or if they tell you, you know, I go to church and, uh, you know, it's a good Bible teaching church or whatever, don't assume they're saved. I mean, I don't want to assume my kids are saved. Um, I hope that my kids are saved, but some of them I have some questions about and concerns about. So don't be too quick to write that you look healthy, sign the medical card uh, when you're doing the spiritual evaluation for for those that you're ministering to, okay? Okay. the proper examination that uh, is for effective one-on-one ministry results in eternal fruit. We've got that underlined, bolded. That's, that's the main point we're getting across here, that you've got to do a proper examination in that one-on-one ministry to get that fruit. Um, it's better to assume someone is not saved and lead them through an understanding of the gospel and repentance and faith, than the opposite. Um, It doesn't hurt somebody to get another lesson on repentance and faith. Be reminded of that, go back to the beginning if they need to, in their spiritual walk. You're not going to do any harm by assuming that the person needs Christ. Any questions on that so far? So the before Christ, then you've got the conversion, you've got the after Christ, and I will let you do the further study on that in Acts uh, with Stephen and Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, and find out about the, the process of conversion uh, before, during, and after Christ. But uh, I think that is enough for now, this morning, on that handout, so... There are flyers, I mean, not flyers, there are folders here on the table if you want to take one of those folders to keep your stuff together. Uh, There's pencils and paper here if you want to take notes. I forgot to mention that earlier. But what time is it? Does that clock say? Okay, so we got about 15 minutes. What I think would be the most profitable thing for us to do with our remaining time is to get into some of these situation studies that are more specific to what we'll be facing on the night of December 6th. So pass these around your tables. And what I want you to do is I want you to to partner up. You can partner with the person you came with or you can uh, reach out and partner with someone that you just met. And you can choose which situation you want to do. I encourage you to each take one. So take a quick look at Jenny, James, Courtney, Trevor, Sarah, Sam, and Will, and pick one. Uh, just doesn't have to be thought about for too long. They're all good scenarios. Pick one and then read it through together with your partner where you take turns, where you will role play as Jenny and your partner will role play as the Christian or just you know himself or herself and then vice versa, and then you could let the other person be James while you try to share and talk with them the way that you would after the event. So, for example, with Situation A, Jenny's a high school sophomore, appears to be a very popular girl, the athletic type, and after the assembly, she comes forward to take the narrow road. She's standing in the group with her friends when you approach the group. You begin the conversation with the group by asking them why they came forward, and you see Jenny beginning to cry. So the question, how would you get Jenny away from her group of friends so you can talk with her one-on-one? And as you're talking, uh, the situation then continues and you are asked, how would you lead her to Christ and what scriptures might you use? And then number three, how would you bring her to that point of decision? So this is a great exercise just to get you familiar with what it might feel like and to get to some experience and practice. Any questions about how to do the situation study together with a partner? How many do we have? We've got two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. I think we've got fourteen including myself. Um, so yeah, everybody's got a partner. So whoever doesn't have a partner out there, you've got to be stuck with me.